2016 was the year fans wanted to forget. A silver lining to the lackluster 3-16 season, the NFL awarded the Bears a third overall pick in the 2017 draft. To answer the problems on the roster, general manager Ryan Pace decided that pick wouldn't be good enough. He needed an impact player, and he needed that impact player to be a quarterback. The Bears relinquished four total picks to the San Francisco 49ers in return for the second overall pick and the Mitch Trubisky era began in Chicago with high expectations. Mitch Trubisky had an immediate impact on the team, overtaking a largely inadequate performance by Mike Lennon in the 2017 season, leading the Bears to an improved 5-11 season. Bears replaced head coach John Fox with Matt Nagy, an offensive coordinator under the tutelage of Andy Reid in Kansas City. The brain trust at Hallis Hall had big plans for Mitch Trubisky to develop into an elite quarterback under their blossoming young coach. In 2018, the Bears went from worst to first. Shutdown defense was paired with an unpredictable offense that wowed fans and opposing coaches alike. The Bears finished 12-4, and exited the playoffs on a missed field goal during overtime against Nick Foles and the Philadelphia Eagles. Flash forward to 2020, a global pandemic rages on. The Bears benched the 2017 second overall pick for the quarterback who sent them packing in 2018. In a hard-fought Monday night game against the division rivals Minnesota Vikings, Nick Foles was carted off into the bye week, punctuating one of many demoralizing losses of the Matt Nagy era. The Bears were left searching for answers on how to beat the Green Bay Packers. Ryan Pace's only option? To rely on the quarterback he traded up for to save Chicago. The lead-up to Sunday night was straight out of a Hollywood script. Much maligned Mitch Trubin threw three touchdowns, two interceptions, had one fumble, threw for over 240 yards in a 41-25 loss to the Green Bay Packers, leaving his future and the future of this franchise to heated debate amongst fans and experts alike. I'm Drew, he's David, and that's where I want to start today, David. What's going on with Mitch Trubisky, and where does this team move forward knowing that he didn't meet expectations over the past three years, including last Sunday night? Well, I think the team is experiencing a lot of frustration. You've got receivers sub-liking and tweeting about the team, uh, being Allen Robinson, who's clearly not going to be here next year because of contract negotiations stalling at the beginning of the season and the lack of production offense during this past season. I think what we saw this past Sunday night was Trubisky was kind of more fearless. He wasn't afraid to make a mistake. Sometimes when you quarterbacks get demoted or in a position where they lose their starting job and have to hold a clipboard and run the scout team they're willing to try a couple things and work and fine-tune their game you saw that Trubisky wasn't afraid to do a couple more downfield shots this game fortunately none of them really turned out that well because they threw in the double and triple coverage but what we saw on Sunday night was the Trubisky we were hoping to see getting the ball downfield and getting vertical and I think throughout this whole season we've seen that the Bears have been playing it safe with their shorter route comp combos and on Sunday night because the Bears know they're on the brink of the playoffs they were willing to try a couple new things I mean Trubisky completed 56 percent of his passes so pretty mediocre but you know I I think he's the better quarterback between Foles and himself Um, moving forward I don't think the Bears are going to be look the same next year. I think they're going to be under new leadership, both at the general manager position and coaching position, and maybe even team president position, because the Bears are stuck in neutral. I, I wouldn't rush to the conclusion that the president will be out. Um, positives and negatives about Mr. Trubisky. So he's pushing the ball downfield, looked confident, I think there was even a moment after the first interception where he was talking to Matt Nagy. And, you know, was a positive for Mitch and a negative for Matt, just that body language that was going on. Because I think Mitch shows that he he knows what he's capable of. He's ready to play football. He honestly didn't make a lot of mental errors. And 
that first pick, I, I I don't know if you watched the broadcast closely, but I think they said that like in the pre-interview, so every week the coaches and players will be available, available for like certain media just to give them some info on like what to remark on, right? And I thought that they said that like they will call specific shots downfield, like, oh, just go for the deep ball, right? Like Man Aggie will be like, okay, we're going to run this play. Mitch, throw it deep. Let's see if we get this one. That does not make any sense strategically to say, hey, just throw it up deep. Because that just says that you're not being a critical thinker on the field or on the sideline and that you're basically putting, setting your quarterback up to fail. Matt Nagy, I think, at the halftime interview had like remarked on that, that he thought that that first interception wasn't on Mitch. It bugs me because if you're saying, hey, we might get this, just toss it downfield, well, why not just toss it to the open guy and see if he makes a play? It makes so much more sense. So positives, Mitch played well. I don't, I don't want to hear about – He played better. I wouldn't say if he played well. Oh, no, I'd say he played well because mediocre is good in the NFL. Mediocre is not bad. All you need to do is be consistent. The defense did not play well in this game. They were behind for a lot. Mitch's passes were so accurate. He was hitting the receivers – one of his playmakers did not do what he's in Chicago to do. It could have been a touchdown. I mean, like, it, it, you can't play Mitch. You look at Carson Wentz. He looked awful. He was not throwing the ball. If Mitch was playing on the Eagles, the Eagles would have beaten the Seahawks. On no, Miami. Drew, let's stick yes. to the Bears, yes. man. Let's stick to he, the Bears. No, it's the same type of system. It's got sim- – because of Zach Ertz not being in, it was similar personnel. You had a top wideout. You had a bunch of speedy guys. You had a few mediocre tight ends. And then you had a mobile quarterback. Carson Wentz could not put the ball on the receivers. Mitch was. He was putting it right where the receivers needed it. And he was fast. He got a first down on his legs, I'm pretty sure. And the the sad thing is that he's not going to be in Chicago next year. Unless they make moves early. I just can't see these negotiations for an extension or re-signing, whatever you want to call it, like, so then you're talking about the new look Bears next year. I think there's a bunch of quarterbacks that are going to be on the market. So it's like you're going to have a very similar situation where you're going to have kind of a, a quarterback who can make moves with his legs who isn't going to be like a 2005-style quarterback where he just sits in the pocket and picks apart defenses. You're not going to have that. Like presumably Cam Newton's going to be on the market. You might see like Tyrod Taylor moving around. Like there's going to be some guys who can play, and then you're going to have to think about what are those guys going to look like with Matt Nagy if they keep him. And also, when we're talking about the Bears offense and the play from Mitch Trubisky, it's like, well, are you going to keep Matt Nagy and have him start fresh again? Because he's tried to like develop this player. It hasn't really worked out. And I think you are looking at one of those older quarterbacks on the market, but not like a guy who's at the end of his career. Right. right. So I think mm-hmm. the type of player that you're, they're going to look to get if the Bears stay with Matt Nagy, if you take away that 12-4 and four season, a lot of people have touched on this in the Chicago media. You take away that 12-4 and four season, what you have is a mediocre coach. When you're assessing the coaching situation, there's, there's a lot of coaches on the market right now. And right now it seems like the Bears are going to wait if they are going to make a change. What they're saying is that they think Matt Nagy is better than every coach that they could get right now in the market, which I just think isn't true from the evidence we have. Well, we don't know yet, Drew. They haven't made any decisions yet. They're just behind the ball in trying to get some of these coaches that are on the market. They could be. If they they haven't, that means that they think that Manahee is better than every coach on the market. Well, we could speculate. I, I don't know. I think the big thing is, believe it or not, the Bears are still in the hunt. 
I mean, for that extra, the additional wild card spot, they're definitely not going to win the division. But if the Cardinals keep losing and uh, out in the uh, West, and the Bears will win these divisional games, especially against the lowly Lions and then the Vikings, who I don't think the Vikings are as good as people think they are, they might have a shot. I'm not saying that the Bears definitely have holes and they'll need to address them this offseason. I've been reading a lot, and it looks like they're going to address their first need at the at the offensive line position. I also want to ask the question, you know, if Matt Nagy can't develop Trubisky, who the Bears invested a lot into by bringing in Chase Daniel, bringing in additional co- offensive coaches like Mark Helfrey from Oregon and a bunch of quarterback coaches and then even just bringing some knowledgeable offensive guys to the organization who is Matt Nagy's ideal quarterback for his offense and especially well, because well, we know it's Patrick Mahomes <laughs> right right but the Bears aren't going to get him out of his half a billion dollar contract with the Chiefs it, you know it, I, I am just curious because the Bears are I probably going to finish toward in the middle of the pack this year they're not going to have a, first, a top 10 pick. And there's four or five quarterbacks this year, especially two especially, that are really, really good. And the Bears might not, you know, I don't think they'll be able to trade up without having to give up a lot to do that. So you were saying uh, Cam Newton maybe or Tyrod Taylor. And I, ironically enough, Tyrod Taylor has not caught a break. He gets or, hurt. Or, he, or he, Jameis Winston. Yeah, that would be an interesting one. The issue with Jameis, though, is he throws a lot of interceptions. Debatable, I guess. Bruce Arians, it's been well documented that under Bruce Arians, like, just the way the system is, his quarterbacks are a lot vulnerable to that. So I don't know. I mean, the other thing is, though, he puts up stats, right? Like, a move to a player like Jameis would be a move to a player like kind of like what we had with Jay Cutler in his last couple of years, right? Like, Mm -hmm. where – you know you're going to get interceptions, but like, hey, we're getting interceptions right now. I mean, as long as he's pushing the ball down the field and giving the defense a break, I just feel like a player like that. I'm not saying that Winston is the right fit, but like a player like that could be the right move, I think, okay. with the defense they have right now. When you're talking about the draft, this might sound a little weird. I almost feel like they need to double down in their first round and pick up another corner because we're kind of seeing the way that like defenses are defending the spread. And we're seeing how a top-tier corner is invaluable right now in defenses. You know, like, how many times do you watch the broadcast for the Bears and they talk about Buster Screen? Well, if you draft another top-tier corner, then you get some more malleability in the way that you manage your roster. Maybe you move a Kyle Fuller, who I don't want to lose. He looked amazing. Kyle Fuller's good. Despite, despite the defense, he looked amazing. But – Right now, you're going to get the most you could get for him, right? Like, everybody would agree, like, he looks great, right? So should the Bears pull a Belichick and get rid of all their heavy contract guys and just load up in the draft? Well, you could get a guy who, you know, can cover in the slot, and then maybe you move Fuller. Jalen Johnson's looking good. Maybe you sign one corner. And then you can still get your, like, guard. I mean, like, I thought the offensive line looked really good with Cody Whitehair at left guard. I thought that looked amazing. I mean, they can run on the left side of the line. Charles Leno has been maligned by fans and critics alike for the entire season, which is befuddling to me because he's played amazing all year. And Sam Usfer is a good center. He looked mm-hmm. great when he came in before he got injured the first time. You have three quality linemen. You had, I think, did they have a Fady at right tackle? Off the top of my head, I, I don't remember. But. I think, I think they did, right? And mm-hmm. he didn't look bad. So, like, you draft. 
maybe like a, a third round guard and then maybe you hope that like handbright develops and adds depth you know like it's not as much of a pressing issue as you might think if i was the bears that's kind of the route i would go in is like ensuring that you don't lose anything on the defense because the worst thing that i could see happening in the next few years is that the bears finally write things on the offense by spending a lot of capital especially in the higher rounds only to then have a bad defense because i think really a lot of this offense stuff is strategic just like decision making i've been saying that the entire season really it's just that they don't have a coherent strategy every week you're getting a different look but not in the way that you see like a belichick every week different look like that is a strategic move that they make on intentionally and they have a very malleable system but right now what we're seeing is a super rigid system that is just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks and so like it could be a lot easier than you think to get this offense on track. Now, you brought up the point about losing Allen Robinson. There are going to be some good wide receivers on the market this year, too. And so I think that, like, really what it's going to be is you got to put a lot of faith in Ryan Pace that he knows what he's doing. If he's going to manage his resources correctly to where he can sign the right guys, move the right guys, and pick the right guys in one offseason, and I just think it's a lot of pressure. And right now, I don't trust him to do that. But, hey, he can surprise us. That, that's my take on it. Yeah. I, I mean, there's a lot of holes, like we were saying. Uh, Robinson will be a huge hole to fill. I actually saw a stat today. I don't remember it specifically, but the top two receivers with the most targets and catches were Devontae Adams and Allen Robinson. Allen Robinson doesn't drop the ball. Like, he literally catches everything. And another thing is these quarterbacks miss time and time again these receivers. I was watching some video on um, on uh, Darnell Mooney, the rookie out of Tulane, and he he is such a smooth route runner. Everyone was kind of saying that he was raw coming out of school and he had a slight frame, but all I'm seeing is he's just a baller. He's so fast and so smooth running those routes, and the quarterbacks, Foles and Trubisky, have continually missed him throughout the year. He is the one receiver on the Bears offense that gives a vertical threat, the other guys are possession receivers, with the exception of Anthony Miller, who's been very inconsistent and sometimes runs the wrong routes. And I've noticed that quite a bit, actually. With Mooney, I wonder if he's playing in the right spot right now, because I feel like some of those deep threats, like, it looked like really those cover two looks that you're seeing a lot against the spread right now. And he's trying to find that hole in the middle, and it seemed like the safety's really, like, you know, you mentioned he's the only real deep threat, so they're really respecting Mooney. But I just wonder, like, when you watch the Chiefs and Tyree Kill, when he pushes the ball downfield, I feel like you're not seeing him attack the middle of the field as much as one-third of it, right? Like, it's usually, like, kind of the outside thirds of the field. The other thing is Mooney's really smart. Like, he's really, like, he does a lot of little details that we've seen kind of Anthony Miller show flashes of, um, but, I mean, Mooney's just straight out of college, right? And and I think if you went and told me that the Bears are going to have multiple rookies making an impact on the offense right now, or just the team in general, I would have been really skeptical in the offseason. But, like, they do have that. So that's another bright spot and positive about this team. But, you know, he does those little details of kind of like, you know, looking a guy off during your route, taking a mini stutter step. Those little things are really encouraging. So I'm really happy about him. David was one of the first to really – when the draft happened, he called that Mooney was going to be a big-time contributor. But one thing we have to talk about before we move on to any defense is David Montgomery finally busted off. I think it was a 57-yard run. 
And like we mentioned, it happened kind of behind that solid left side of the line, right? Between, I think it was a combo block between Mustafer and Cody Whitehair. And those two look good working together. And I, I kind of think that over the course of this five-game losing streak, it seemed like teams were attacking what, you know, in football you would call that kind of like the gap bubble, but really they were attacking the guards. I think putting a, a proven pro bowler at that left guard position instead of trying to like keep consistency, kind of like trying to marshal where you can get the most out of the O-line as a whole is a better approach. And I think it's going to be really big and help against the Lions this week. Yeah, the left side of the line did look good. I, I was very – this is probably the best – game I've seen uh, Montgomery play all season to be honest with you he's finally was showing that burst of speed that he was known for at Iowa State um, in college and why the Bears drafted him and are so high on him for whatever reason this year he has not been able to get consistently going and that was really nice to see especially coming off of a a one-week injury yeah and the thing is I I think we would talk about how it didn't look like he was choosing the right spot to Mm -hmm. make his cuts or but on Sunday night, everything was very clear. Almost every one of his runs was a one-cut run. And I, I think that that's really encouraging because maybe the reason he was so indecisive is because he didn't know what he was going to get in front of him. And now that you have a very solid, consistent side of the line, I mean, plenty of teams only have like one good side to run behind, right? Plenty mm-hmm. of teams have like their kind of run blockers are solid on one side and then they have great pass blockers showing up the other kind of balance the line, right? That's not uncommon. But now that you have such a consistent side, I think that it's making it easier on him, which, I mean, he's a young guy, right? Like, he's not like Matt Forte mid-career where he knows all the tricks of the trade yet. So that looked great. And he's also, now that he's back from injury, he's still contributing in the past game, I thought. So I think there's a lot of positives to this Bears offense. It was a really demoralizing loss, as I mentioned, but – The thing was, even though it was disheartening, I think that there's a lot of upside. And the question is whether or not these coaches will get in the way of these players who are very talented. I do think they will. allowing them to make plays. I do think they will. Um, You know, Jirai was definitely vibing with what you were saying, and I'm really wanting the Bears to be good. But when you can't beat the Packers, like, that's an issue. That, like, that is, like, the number one thing the organization expects you to do when you come into – you know, assume a higher office position, especially like the head coach. You know, Nagy's only beat them once. Most likely they'll lose their second game this year, and I don't know if he gets any more leash with maybe the one additional year. If Nagy and Pace are able to survive this year, they're going to get one more year, and it's a prove-it year for sure. Yeah, well, we we got to touch on the defense. We've been really high on Chuck Pagano and his ability to game plan and keep his guys motivated despite the outcome of these games and this losing streak. I think there's no question that these guys have heart and they're trying. But what I really can't stand is this assessment that because Akeem Hicks is out, the whole defense is lost. That is just not how football works. One player does not a defense make. Well, I will say, though. 11 guys working together. True, but I do say he does push the line of scrimmage and give the Bears an opportunity for the linebackers to fill the hole. Yeah, I could buy that maybe because they're counting on Akeem to take on two blockers, right? Like, or, or get double teamed or whatever, or, or just take a guy head up and dominate him. 
Mm-hmm. But I just think that with the way that Chuck's kind of, like, managed this defense, he plays around. He does a lot of different looks. I feel like, you know, usually the first drive is all 3-4. Then he mixes things up. I just, I don't know. I don't know if I buy that. I mean, like, I I think that the Bears have shown over the past two seasons that they have a lot of depth at D-line. And how many weeks do we see guys, like, come off the bench and play really well for this D-line? I don't think that the defense hinges on him but to your point yeah it does it does change the game a bit for the linebackers and I just thought it was kind of funny that people were pointing that point out and how Roquan had a quote bad game and still had five tackles like (laughs) I mean he didn't have a tackle for loss which he had had for like what like seven weeks in a row okay he had seven weeks in a row where he had a TFL then he didn't have one and now he has a bad game come on he still played well I, I love Roquan. I think he's the next stud linebacker on the Bears uh, defense with coupled with uh, Cleo Mack because obviously his talent is prodigious. Man, Robert Quinn, he's been a dud of a pickup this year. Well, and but Cleo Mack in that game, I, 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 when they dropped eight, I don't mind when teams drop eight. I think you probably know what I'm talking about, right? When I do. They, when, I think Khalil Mack did like a spin move during a double, and it almost it almost looked like the the three man rush knew that they weren't getting any help on the back end. And then it almost looked like not everybody understood how their zones were collapsing and expanding because then it looked like two guys were guarding space and nobody was guarding the receiver at the back of the end zone. Which I I can't remember. It might have been Devontae Adams. It looked like they didn't know how to attack Aaron Rodgers. When we see prolific quarterbacks get beat, it always comes off of pressure historically in the past 15 years. The reason the Giants were able to beat the best team possibly in all of football was because people like Strahan were putting pressure on the quarterback. You have to mix it up. And I just think that in the red zone, especially when you're using the back of the end zone as an extra deep middle defender. I don't see the benefit in dropping eight in that situation. I see the benefit in dropping eight when it's like maybe a third and two and the defense or the offense is counting on you loading up for the run and then you surprise them by dropping eight. I think that's a good situation, especially when like we've seen some of these defensive coaches for the Bears have been really good at predicting tendencies and putting Chuck in really great positions to make the right call. But the problem is, in that situation, the Packers knew they were going to pass it. The Bears knew they were going to pass it. And what the Bears decided to do was drop everybody into zone coverage. Usually, you would count on that zone coverage being so locked down that your three-man rush had enough time to get there. But the problem was that those zones, everybody looked confused. And so you have to be very disciplined if you are going to try and beat them at their own game, right? And so I just kind of had a problem with that approach because if it's easier to try and beat them in another way than to try and beat the Packers at their own game. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, when you say dropping eight, I mean, Aaron Rodgers is so damn smart at re- and so quick with getting rid of the ball that, like, you got to get to him in three seconds. And you can't get to him in five because the ball's already out. And on Sunday night, the Bears couldn't get him in any seconds because he did not get hit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He was just, yeah. Okay, so David already previewed the outlook for the Bears. The Cardinals are kind of falling. In, their stock is kind of falling. The Rams also, I believe, lost. The Bucks lost. I think the best chance the Bears have is a complete collapse by the Bucks and holding that tiebreaker, honestly. But, you know, we, we never know. The Bears somehow have stayed in this race. 
But the Bears have all their second division games, plus they got to play the Texans who look Honestly, I think they look great right now in the Jags. And now the Texans kind of remind me of maybe you want to touch on this too. But we've seen when teams make a change at the head coach, it's sparking teams to play a lot better. You see it in the Falcons, you're seeing it in the Texans, and man, I don't know. Are we going to see it from the Lions this week, David? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I do think uh, Kenny Galladay is coming back, their number one receiver. So that's a huge upgrade for the. Uh, Detroit Lions offense. Obviously, they have a stellar quarterback in um, Matthew Stafford, who it'll be interesting to see what happens this offseason if he's going to the Saints because that's where the speculation is. But I still think the Bears have the Lions. The Lions organization is (laughs) not very well run, and they're having issues with a lot of coach turnover. And they've had talent come through that organization year in, year out. They just can't get it together. I think the Bears will do just fine against the Lions this week, um, to answer your question, Drew. I do think the coaching change will maybe change the perspective on the Lions and make them play a little looser. I I know Patricia was kind of getting called out quite a bit by uh, people on the Lions, but I think the Bears got it this week. What's your score prediction, David? All right, I've got the Bears 20, Lions 12. 2012 Bears. Okay. I'm a little more bullish on the Bears this week. They have a solid O-line combination that they found. They still have a good receivers room. And the the defense is going to – the defense has proven over the past kind of like three or four years that they kind of have this Lions team. They make plays against the Lions, which I think is really important. So, yes, Galladay is back. I think that is a really astute point. Because even, you know, in the past, whenever Galladay goes out as a fan, I breathe a sigh of relief. (laughs) I don't know if you do that. But I think that the Bears running attack is going to look a lot better because that O-line has consistency and has – they put their pro bowler in the right spot. (laughs) And and so I think that's going to look better. And where that's going to help, I think, is to mitigate what we were talking about, whether or not the coaching decisions can get in the way. And I think because that running attack will improve, it's going to control the game in a way that's going to allow the Bears to just play complimentary football this week. That said, you brought up a good point. Matt Stafford's going to put up points. So I think he's going to have at least at least two passing touchdowns. And the Lions have had some injuries at running back this year that really hampered their attack. But should they be healthy, they'll tack on another touchdown running. That said, I think that the Bears are going to kind of become a different team this week. I think it's going to be 24-21 Bears. And this, let, let me just note that this is the first time, I think, in five weeks that I've picked the Bears. So, you know, I'm really hanging my hat on this call. This might be the bold prediction of the season for me, but I am sticking with the Bears. So you got it, 2012 Bears. I got it, 24-21 Bears. And they play on Sunday at noon. And we'll catch you next week when we recap the game.